Sir. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For by, since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Welcome to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. If in this life only you have hope, you are miserable. There's no way not to be miserable in some respect. You can hide. You can run from it. You can play pretend, you can put uh, your hands over your eyes, you can put your fingers in your ears, but you are miserable because you have no hope. And as a matter of fact, if you are merely evolved from a protoplasm and are animal-like only, you have no hope. Evolution provides no hope for you because the hope of resurrection in Christ applies only to humans made in God's image. I hope you'll get the significance of that. It has profound significance for us, friends, because at the end of the book, in the book of Revelation, chapter 14, we find God's final message to the earth, to humankind. It comes from an angel, and he says, Fear God, glorify him, and worship him that made heaven and earth. That's the last message of a distilled gospel or good news message to the planet. Fear God, glorify him, and then worship him that made heaven and earth. So if you don't believe that God made heaven and earth, you can't worship him as God, because you don't believe that he is God. You don't really believe that he made heaven and earth. If you don't believe that he made heaven and earth, then you also don't believe that he made you in his image. Therefore, you have disqualified yourself by definition from the resurrection hope. That's another way of looking at things, friends, and sometimes we need to be more honest with ourselves as we read the Bible called the Word of God, the Scripture, And today on Viewpoint, we're going to be talking about this hope that we have in Christ. But if you talk to the original Hebrews coming out of the land of Egypt, you will understand that they had no such hope. In fact, the only hope that they had was perhaps being delivered from the iron furnace, the bondage of Egypt. The lordship of Pharaoh, a type of Antichrist, who had complete dominion over their lives. So God gave them, through the voice of Moses, a series of seven feasts, or Moedim, meaning appointed times. As Gentiles, we often refer to these as the feasts of the Lord. But in reality, what they were really called was appointed times, Moedim. And the first of those seven feasts was Passover. 
And yesterday we did an entire program dealing with Passover. Because, as God had said, when I see the blood of the lamb, the paschal lamb that you have killed, after watching over that lamb for four days to make sure he was without blemish, when I see the blood of that lamb painted on the doorposts of your house and on the lintel, then the death angel that will destroy all of the firstborn in Egypt will pass over you. Do you know that if the Israelites, the Hebrews, had not painted the blood of the Paschal Lamb on their doorpost, that they also would have lost their firstborn, as would the Egyptians? But did you also know that if the Egyptians had painted by faith the blood of the Paschal Lamb and had joined with Israel, they also would have been able to save their firstborn? You see, it was all by faith, whether by Jew or by Gentile. It's always been by faith for the just shall be saved and shall live by faith. And so when we talk about the resurrection, what we're actually talking about is a, uh, in, in a sense, a New Testament fully expressed expression of that which is portrayed in the third feast of the Lord, or Moedim. The first of those feasts was Passover. The second, starting on the second day, was the Feast of Unleavened Bread, where the children of Israel were not to eat anything with leaven and were to cleanse their homes from all leaven, which became seen as a type of sin that permeates our lives if we don't keep get rid of it and keep it out of our lives. But then... The next day was called the Feast of First Fruits. Now, what's that all about? Well, the Feast of First Fruits was a time when the children of Israel, when they, uh, in an agrarian society, when they were uh, bringing their, uh, their harvest, the very first of their lot was to be given to the priests the Feast of First Fruits. And then they were to have a convocation, and that is a coming together as a congregation uh, and break bread together because it was an important meeting time between the people and God. First Fruits. Yet the Apostle Paul said that the resurrection of Christ was the first fruits. In fact, he said, now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. In other words, of those who have died. Interesting. How many resurrections are there anyway? Well, we know the Bible tells us of at least three resurrections or three types of resurrections. We'll mention those here, but ultimately the resurrection that we're concerned about today is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who became the first fruit to God of those who would obey him, those who would believe, those who would follow in the footsteps of Yeshua, Jesus Christ. So he then became the one given for Israel, the only obedient Israelite who ever lived, 
who pleased God perfectly, unlike Abraham or Moses, or David, Yeshua, Jesus pleased God perfectly, and therefore he became worthy to become the sacrificial lamb who would take away the sin of the world. So when he died on Wednesday, not Friday, Wednesday, when he died on Wednesday, he was buried before sundown. He was in the grave from Wednesday night to Thursday night. That's one day. From Thursday night to Friday night, that's two days. And from Friday night to Saturday night, that's three days. And then the Bible says, early in the morning, on the first day of the week, he rose from the dead. Hmm. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chrismeyer. Today we talk about the hope of the resurrection. If in this life only we have hope, we are of necessity miserable. In other words, we have no real hope. It's just eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. That's how the animals live. And if you believe in evolution, then that's who you are. You're not created in the image of God. You're some other kind of being akin to an evolved animal. Therefore, it would seem that perhaps you're not eligible for the resurrection and therefore have no hope. On the other hand, those who do have hope, knowing that they're made in the image of God, knowing then that their account will be before God, then would live lives pleasing to God so that they would be seen by God as resurrectable in the end times, not to eternal damnation, but to eternal bliss or hope. Now, that's what we want to talk about here on Viewpoint Today. And if if you, if anyone listening to this program today does not have that hope, You can have it today. But you're going to have to come clean before God and present yourself as if it were crucified. You're going to have to present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable act of worship. Meaning, you must humble yourself before God Confess your sin, which means that you are living in a state of mind and heart that is contrary to the word, will, and ways of God. You are a rebel and disobedient to his word and will and ways. Therefore, Jesus Christ offers you the only hope of salvation, the only hope 
of deliverance from that state of mind and heart where this life is all you have. So today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to make that choice. Don't delay because you don't know whether you'll have tomorrow. So today is the day of salvation. Don't delay. Don't harden your heart. Don't say, i got to think about it. It's time to make that ultimate decision now. Life and hope begins now. And if in this life only we have hope, again, we are of all men most miserable. But now, those of us who have committed our hearts and our lives to Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world and offered his blood to be the sacrifice to be that his blood would, in effect, be painted on the doorposts of our own hearts so that when judgment comes upon all humankind, which it will, because it's appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment, when that happens you and I will be spared the judgment that will consign a person either to eternal damnation or eternal hope and bliss in heaven, in the presence of God. This is the issue before us today. It's not just a matter of uh, what a wonderful time Easter is. You see, in reality, the word Easter isn't really a biblical word. What is a biblical word is first fruits. And the celebration of Easter, which was somewhat of a taking of a pagan celebration and converting it into a Christian celebration so that uh, things could be more peaceable in the Roman Empire... In reality, what we're really looking at in honesty is the third feast of the Lord or Moedim called First Fruits. You'll find it in Leviticus chapter 23. So what does that mean? You see, you and I are supposed to give ourselves as a holy sacrifice, we're to live as a holy sacrifice unto God, which is our reasonable service or our reasonable act of worship. The Apostle Paul said, I die daily. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but not I, but Christ lives in and through me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who died and gave his his life for me. This is about living. The resurrection is not just about the future, it's about the present. It's about being made alive now. Because the Bible teaches us that without that, without the hope of Christ, we are all dead men. We're living in a carcass that would seem to be alive, but in reality, from a spiritual point of view, we're dead. 
And that's the reason why the Bible talks about the rebirth. Because from a spiritual standpoint, we are dead. Our spirit is dead. We have a body. We're in, we have a soul, but our spirit is dead, and it needs to be made alive unto God through Jesus Christ. Now, we have an account in the book of John, chapter 11, that helps us a bit to understand this. Jesus had three friends. Well, he had more than that, but he had three very precious friends, Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus. And Lazarus died. Mary and Martha had sent to Jesus and his disciples indicating that Lazarus was sick and couldn't Jesus just come quickly uh, thinking that Jesus would heal him. But Jesus did not come quickly. In fact, Jesus knew that Lazarus was going to die. But the reason he delayed in coming was not to make Mary and Martha miserable, but to show the power of God and what the resurrection was about. So he used it as a teaching moment to Mary and Martha, and obviously Lazarus. So then Martha said to Jesus when Jesus finally came, Lord, if you had been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatever whatever you will ask of God, he'll give it to you. Jesus said to her, your brother shall rise again. Now, I want you to think about this because Martha didn't get it. She didn't understand what Jesus was saying. She had her own interpretation of it. That's how you and I think oftentimes. We just don't quite get what God is trying to say to us in his word. So Jesus is right there with Martha, and he says, your brother shall rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Oh, that was a profound observation by Martha because the Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection. A lot of the Pharisees didn't even believe in a resurrection. So the concept of a resurrection was kind of nebulous in those days of Jesus' ministry on the earth. So Jesus responded to Martha, and he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. This is what we were just talking about. We are dead in spirit, but when we receive Christ as our Savior, the Lamb of God, who would take away the sin of the world, the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin if we receive it as the substitutionary sacrifice for our own guilt, rebellion, and disobedience before God. Then we are given not only the hope of the resurrection, but also 
genuine reborn life today on the planet. Jesus said, he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He asked Martha. So I ask you, do you believe that? Now don't answer too quickly. Because a lot of people believe what you would call religious facts. Yes, I believe in Jesus. Yes, I believe in God. Yes, I believe that Jesus was the Son of God. Yes, I believe that there's a resurrection. Okay, what difference has that made in your life lately? You see, if it's not making any difference in your life today, the question is, do you really believe it? Because there are two ways of interpreting belief. The Greco-Roman way and the Hebrew way. The Bible was not written by Greco-Romans. The Bible was written by Hebrews. Jews, including Jesus himself. So what was the Greco-Roman viewpoint? The Greco-Roman viewpoint of what it means to believe is to give cognitive assent to certain facts. So you say, I believe that. Okay? There's nothing wrong with that, by the way, in and of itself. But it's not enough. Because it doesn't change your life. That kind of belief doesn't change your life. So when the Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you should be saved in your house, it's not talking about give assent, mental assent, to the fact that Jesus is the Savior of the world. It's to hang your very life on what you say you believe about Jesus being the life of the world, the hope of the future. So the Hebrew definition or meaning of the word believe means not only that you give cognitive assent to what you say you believe, but that you conform your life to it. Because if you don't conform your life to it, you are just a hypocrite. That was the problem that Jesus had with the religious leaders of his day. One of the problems. He called them hypocrites. Why? Because they had all this knowledge about the Bible, the Torah, and so they had all this knowledge and information, but they weren't living accordingly. So he called them whited sepulchers, full of dead men's bones, hypocrites. You see, the meaning of the resurrection is not just for the future, it's for today. Today we are called to live a resurrected life, that our spirit is reborn. And then, as we live that life out by faith, we have a legitimate hope of the final resurrection, a resurrection to eternal hope in the presence of Christ. Now, it's very interesting to see how people react to this. You see, Lazarus was actually deader than a doornail. When Jesus got there, he is already in the grave and he'd been dead at least four days, which means that his body had begun to decay. 
And this is the reason why, friends, that Jesus could not be in the grave more than three days. Because after three days, the body begins to decay. So the psalmist has said, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. In other words, to see decay. So Jesus was in the grave three days, from Wednesday night to Thursday night, from Thursday night to Friday night, and from Friday night to Saturday night, the end of the Sabbath. Then early on the first day of the week, and it could have been in the evening on Saturday, or sometime between then and about 5 or 6 o'clock in the morning on Sunday, Jesus rose from the dead. That's the only way to make true, honest observation of what the scriptures say about the death and resurrection of Christ. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archive. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. Before we go further, let me explain to you why we must form the understanding that Jesus was not crucified on Friday, but on Wednesday. Let's go back. The Bible tells us that on Palm Sunday, we call it Palm Sunday, which was Sunday, the first day of the week, because the the Jewish people were uh, uh, resting on the Sabbath day, the regular weekly Sabbath. So the next day, Jesus on a donkey fulfills the prophecy of Zechariah, and he comes into Jerusalem on the donkey, and they throw palm branches down, and they say, uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And he goes up to the temple, casts out the temple, the, the money changers there in the temple, and what do the money changers do? They're selling extortionary, in extortionary terms, they're selling the things that are necessary for the people to make their sacrifices. Jesus wasn't happy at all. He said, it's written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Well, that began his entrance into Jerusalem, his city, the city that God had ordained to put his name there. So Jesus came to put his name there. And he was there for four days. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Why four days? Because the Jewish people, right after that Sabbath day, 
were required to have a Paschal lamb, that is a, a Passover lamb, called out of their flock and held in their homes so they could become used to him and also observe whether that lamb was without blemish. That They were required to do that for four days. You can read about that in the book of Exodus, chapter 11 and 12. So, during that same period of time, Jesus, as the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world, is now in Jerusalem so that the people and the premier religious leaders can observe him to see whether there is any blemish in him. Now we're talking about a spiritual blemish. So what happened? During that four days in which many of the parables that Jesus told recounted in the scriptures happened during those four days. You can read about it mostly in the book of Matthew. You can get the chronology there. They tested him. Master, what's the greatest commandment? You remember that. Is it lawful for us to uh, uh, give uh, taxes to Caesar? Remember those tests that they laid out on Jesus? They were tests to see who he was. And he passed every one of the tests, so much so, totally baffled the religious leaders. They didn't know what to do with him. So, finally, they were so perturbed, so upset, they decided they had to conspire together to force him to reveal his messiahship. That was the only way they were going to get him. And that's what they did. And they did that on the fourth day. Wednesday, early in the morning at the house of the high priest. And from there they took him to Pontius Pilate to have him crucified. On Wednesday, he was crucified on Wednesday at noon. He was on the cross until 3 o'clock in the afternoon on Wednesday. And they had to take him down because he had died quickly. They didn't even have to break his bones, that it might be fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet, not one bone of his shall be broken. By 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus had declared, it is finished and died. He had to be taken down from the cross because, now listen carefully, because the Bible says the past, the, the Sabbath drew on. Now here's where people make their mistake. This is why we have confused God's calendar and religious leaders in well-meaning have completely confused God's calendar. Because God's calendar is there to tell us something. It's prophetic. Not pathetic, but prophetic. God's calendar means something. The Sabbath, that when it says that the Sabbath drew on, it was not talking about the seventh-day Sabbath. 
once a week. It was talking about the Passover, which was called a Sabbath day. Because Jesus arose the day after the weekly Sabbath, the first day of the week. There were not two weekly Sabbaths in one week. The Sabbath that drew on at the time of Jesus' crucifixion was not the seventh-day Sabbath. It was the Passover, called a Sabbath day. Not the Sabbath day, a Sabbath day. Now, if we understand that, it should make it relatively easy for us then to correct if we can just allow our own minds and hearts to be upset for a few moments to realize Jesus didn't die on Good Friday. Because if he died on Good Friday, that means he would have from Friday night to Saturday night, that's one day, and rise the next day, early in the morning. Yet the Bible tells us, Jesus himself said, that as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man, referring to himself, be three whole days and three whole nights in the earth. For whatever it's worth, maybe we should begin to align ourselves with God's own calendar because it means something. It's prophetic. And when we can see how prophecy was fulfilled to the day and the hour, we can be encouraged the more so that we can trust the rest of God's calendar, which begins with the fall feasts in September. Those are the ones we're waiting for to be fulfilled. Now, here's what happened with Lazarus, very quickly. Jesus came to Lazarus's tomb, and they said, oh, he said, roll away the stone. And he said, no, no, he stinks now. Jesus said, that's okay. Didn't I tell you that if you would believe, you should see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And he cried with a loud voice, saying, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus, a dead man, came forth bound hand and foot. Jesus said, loose him. Now here's the deal. Then many of the Jews which had come to Mary and had seen these things, which Jesus did, believed on him, but, but, but some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Why did they go to the Pharisees? Because they were trying to play the game to curry favor with the Pharisees who they knew didn't like Jesus. So they garnered the chief priests and the Pharisees and said, what do we do? This man is doing many miracles. So the chief priests 
admitted Jesus was doing many miracles, and they didn't deny that he had raised Lazarus from the dead. They they couldn't deny it. He was real. But here's what they said. Listen, if we let him alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans then will come and take away our place and our nation. In other words, our power, perks, and position. That's all they were concerned about. They weren't concerned about the glory of God. They weren't concerned about seeing the works of a Messiah right in front of their faces. They were concerned only about me, me, me. My power, my my perks, my position. So, then, the chief priests consulted how they might put Lazarus also to death, because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went and believed on Jesus. Notice the Pharisees even did everything they could to override their purported belief in a resurrection in order to protect their own temporal power, perks, and position on this planet. Did they really believe? No. They didn't really believe. No wonder Jesus called them whited sepulchers full of dead men's bones. They needed to come to be reborn. And only one of them that we know of was actually reborn, and that was Nicodemus. So Nicodemus would be looking for the hope of the resurrection. Here's the question that I have for you. Are you looking for the hope of the resurrection? Do you have confidence in your mind and heart that you have right standing before God to experience the hope of the resurrection? That's a rhetorical question that demands an answer in the privacy of your heart. We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Although not as strongly emphasized in the Hebrew Scriptures, that is the Old Testament, as other Levitical feasts, the Feast of First Fruits, which is the third feast of the Lord, the third appointed time, or Moedim, occurring one day right after the other. Kind of interesting. First it was 
Passover, then unleavened bread, and then Feast of First Fruits. But it still forms an important backdrop to the New Testament. In fact, it's directly mentioned no less than seven times in the New Testament. Jesus' brother James said this, Of his own will, that is God's own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that you and I might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. First fruits. In the book of Revelation, we find also a group, a special group of 144,000 Jewish men who are said to be the redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb from Israel. But like other, like Israel's other spring feasts, the Feast of First Fruits found its prophetic fulfillment in the work of Jesus, Yeshua, Messiah's first coming. So the Apostle Paul declared, in the seventh and most significant reference to first fruits in the New Testament, right there in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he said, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So how was Jesus or Messiah first fruit? He rose again on the third day, literally the third day of Passover season, on the day of first fruits. He rose on the day of first fruits. That's why the timing is necessary. The very day. The prophet Daniel prophesied, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to everlasting shame and contempt. So just as there are two parts to the harvest, the wheat and the chaff, as the Bible talks about, there will be two parts to the final harvest. Some will inherit eternal life and dwell in the house of the Lord forever, and others are going to inherit eternal separation from God, confined forever to the lake of fire. Now, that's not a pretty picture. Therefore, the only way we have hope is by coming into personal, total, repentant relationship with Jesus Christ and living our lives sinless before him. And that's the reason why, friends, the Feast of Unleavened Breads is seven days. That seven represents a man's life on the earth. We're given 70 years, round figures, the Bible says. So, those seven days of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, I believe, symbolize that you and I are to live righteous and holy lives before God during all the days of our life. And when we do, we will live in the house of the Lord forever because we will be resurrected to eternal life. Now here's the rub. We need to put all the scriptures together in order to have a complete understanding. In the book of 1 John, the first 
chapter, it says, if we say we have not sinned, we make Christ a liar and his word is not in us. But if we confess our sin, and by the way, he's talking to Christians. He's not talking to pagans. He's talking to professing Christians. So you might say, well, I thought you said that we were supposed to live righteous and holy lives so that we would be prepared with clean hands and a pure heart for the resurrection. It's true. But since we are holding this treasure of the gospel and of eternal life in these earthen vessels, we are prone to sin. Have you noticed that? And it doesn't matter who it is, anyone other than Jesus Christ, who was born of a virgin, is prone to sin because we all have the sin DNA of Adam. Therefore, you and I have spiritual warfare on this planet. The spiritual warfare that we have, the primary spiritual warfare we have, is in our own minds and hearts. It's the battle of the flesh, our flesh, against the Spirit of Christ. And you know what that is. That's why temptation comes to us. When we yield to temptation, we sin. And if we sin, praise God, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. But why will he advocate for us? On one condition, if we repent. If we will confess our sin when we fail... and turn from it, that's called repentance, then God in his mercy and compassion will forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that glorious? This is the hope of the resurrection, friends. It is about life It's not just about the future, it's about now, because today was tomorrow yesterday. Today is the beginning of your life. Over and over again, the Bible says, today, 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 don't harden your heart. It's because we must choose today. Now, Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is coming again? Do you believe that there's a return of a Messiah? Do you believe that he is coming to judge the earth in righteousness as it says even in the Old Testament? If you believe that, really believe that, not just a fact, but in reality, you will conform your life accordingly. You will go before God. You will listen to his voice, that still small voice that's saying, son or daughter, you know what? What you just said didn't please me. What you just did was contrary to my word, my will and ways, and you know it. What are you going to do about it? And his grace, which is his enabling power, not to overlook your sin or wink at it, but to somehow urge you to 
come to grips with what you have done that's displeasing to God so that you can confess your sin, be cleansed from it, and turn from it, and walk in holiness and in righteousness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Now, I hope that for some, this was of encouragement and help to kind of tie together a whole lot of passages, both Old and New Testament, from the Scriptures, so that this matter of what we call Easter is really something much more than that. It fits in with God's calendar. It's a big deal. And when he comes again, he's going to come again according to the same calendar. That's why we've got to get it right. We need to understand, friends, God is God. When he sets his plan and his purposes, whether you and I understand it or agree with it, it doesn't matter from him because when God speaks, that's it. But the best thing is for you and I to understand it and believe it and then act upon it. Now, for those of you who are listening, have been listening up there in Massachusetts and Connecticut, I have some good news for you. Because even though your station up there, WACE, that has been, our program has been aired on for 22 years, even though it is sold and is going to be off the air on April 30th, we have just made arrangements. Listen carefully. We have just made arrangements for this program, Viewpoint, to be aired on three stations up there in Massachusetts and Connecticut, WVNE, WVNE, Worcester, Springfield, at 7.60 a.m. and 101.5 FM, in Boston, on WILD, 10.90 a.m., And in Hartford, Bloomfield, WSDK, 15.50 a.m. and 95.3 FM. Now, this is far better than even what we had with WACE. This should enable so many more of you to be able to listen where you are and listen carefully The time when this program is going to be airing is going back to its original time in Massachusetts and Connecticut from 4 to 5 p.m. Monday through Friday. Live time from 4 to 5 p.m. Monday through Friday. Tell your friends, Romans and countrymen, friends. And again, it's such a blessing to be able to join with you. Jesus rose again. I am so thrilled. He is risen, as he said. He's not in the grave. He rose again and became the first fruits so that you and I will have hope. 
This is a kind of hope that makes not ashamed. But here's what John, the beloved disciple, said. He said, whoever has that hope of the resurrection will purify himself even as Christ is pure. You see, contrary to what many people have believed or been taught, it's not just enough to make a confession of faith. We have to live by faith. We have to live the life of righteousness and holiness by faith. For Jesus said, be ye holy, for I am holy. When we fall short, God in his mercy does not wink at our sin, but by his grace, his enabling power, urges us, moves us to repent. And it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. So, would you like to know what the real secret of the hope of the resurrection is? One word, repentance. It is the most hope-filled word in the Bible. Without repentance, the resurrection will do you no good. It's just an idle fact. Now, I want to urge you to become a partner with us. Don't delay. We're confronting the deepest issues of America's heart and home from God's eternal perspective. These are the deepest issues of all. Not Russia, not Ukraine, not the economy. Those things are good that we need to talk about, and we do. But these are the ultimate issues. And you and I can do something about these. Well, you can't stop Russia or Ukraine. Or the economy. Thanks for joining us. Go to our website, saveus.org. Give as the Lord would have you to give to enable this program to continue on until Jesus comes. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.